Jesus was rejected, mocked, and forsaken as he was unjustly condemned to die, but he gave up his life willingly on the cross to glorify the Father and bring us to him. This is what we will study in this episode of Through the Word. Hi, I'm Adam Burton. I'm the pastor at Central Baptist Church in Maysville, Kentucky. Every Thursday, I release a new Bible study that comes from The Gospel Project, where we go chronologically through the entire Bible, looking at how all of Scripture points to Jesus. Thank you so much for watching. We are live on Facebook, so if you are watching on Facebook, would you give this video a, a like and a share? And I'll be engaging down in the comment section, so let us know what you think. We are live on YouTube. If you are watching on YouTube, would you hit that thumbs up button as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel. And make sure you hit that little bell so that you get all of our videos. We are live on Instagram, so let us know what you think on Instagram and hit that heart. Show us some love. And we are live on our website at cbcmaysville.com. And if you want to know more about this awesome church that I pastor, go to our website at cbcmaysville.com. If I can pray for you, would you please call or text our prayer hotline? That number is 305-707-PRAY. That's 305-707-7729. We'll keep your request confidential and you can even send it in anonymously if you want because we believe in the power of prayer and I want to pray for you. Well, are you ready? Let's study the The early Christians could have chosen plenty of symbols to represent Jesus and the gospel. The dove as a symbol of the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus at his baptism. Or hands as a symbol of Jesus' healing touch. Or the boat from which he calmed the storm. A royal scepter as a symbol of the kingdom he came to proclaim. Or the mountain on which he transfigured in glory. Palm branches as a symbol of his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Any of these could have been worthy symbols of Jesus' life and ministry. But instead, the early Christians chose a cross as their most important symbol, representing Jesus' sacrificial death, a centerpiece of the gospel. You know, what are some ways that, that you have seen the cross used to represent the Christian faith? Well, and necklaces or jewelry, grave markers, you know, decorations in, in the home or in the church, even tattoos. You know, the cross is the most popular symbol of the Christian faith. But why is that? Why choose a symbol that displays something as violent as a Roman execution device? Now, the crucifixion is one of the foundational elements of the gospel, the, the pinnacle of the Bible's storyline, and, and you, in the very center of all history. See, the entire life and ministry of Jesus leads to this point, and the entire narrative of the Bible centers on it. Our eternal destiny and the destiny of those that are around us depends on how one understands and responds to the event of the Messiah's crucifixion. In this session, we're, we're going to look at how Jesus was rejected, mocked, and forsaken as he was condemned to die on a cross where he hung in our place for our sins. We will, we will also consider what he did for us through this gruesome death. Here's our first point. 
Jesus is the rejected Savior of the world. Read with me Mark chapter 15, verse 6 and verses 11 through 15. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have them release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged to Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Before the cross was a spiritual symbol for the way of Jesus, it was a political one for the power of Rome, a symbol to flex their might and say, cross us and we will cross you. To illustrate the, the point, Barabbas, a, a convicted murderer and insurrectionist, was on death row, scheduled to be executed by crucifixion the next day. But when given a choice between crucifying guilty Barabbas or innocent Jesus, the crowd requested to pardon for Barabbas, and, and Jesus was to die in Barabbas' place. And while the Sanhedrin had sentenced Jesus to death, they, they lacked the judicial authority to carry out the execution. So they sent Jesus to Pilate, a Roman governor, and claimed that Jesus was a political threat to peace and order in the empire. And Pilate, though, found no fault in Jesus, but found himself in the middle of a political dilemma. See, he wanted to let Jesus go, and he needed to pacify the crowd. So, in keeping with his tradition at Passover, Pilate offered to release a prisoner, either Jesus or Barabbas, a known murderer. Because Pilate was less interested in justice and more interested in his political future, he acquiesced to the assembly of citizens and condemned Jesus to a flogging followed by crucifixion. Now, flogging was both a preliminary to crucifixion, perhaps maybe to hasten death, and an independent punishment. It was a Roman punishment, and it must be distinguished from the much milder synagogue beatings of 40 lashes less one. Bits in metal, bone, or glass were embedded in leather thongs, and each and the flesh of the victim was just shredded, sometimes until bones or entrails appeared. Flogging was sometimes fatal. The flogging fulfilled Jesus' own prophecy, though, in Mark chapter 10, verse 34. You know, what are some reasons that people rejected Jesus as the Savior of the world? Maybe admitting that Jesus is Savior means that, that we are and how we live must change. You know, he doesn't match our standards for what a Savior must be like uh, and do. Or because we, we don't think he can save us as individuals. Or maybe we enjoy our sin. <laughs> the gospel, it's a fantastic story, but one that's almost too good to be true. In the criminal Brabus, we, we see an illustration of our own selves. While Brabus was guilty of treason against the Roman Empire, we are guilty of cosmic treason against our Maker. Yet just as Brabus was pardoned from his penalty and Jesus took his place, we who are in Christ by faith are pardoned from sin's penalty because Jesus took our place. In God's good and, and sovereign plan to save sinners like you and like me, Jesus substituted his position as the innocent one for the position of and penalty of a guilty one. 
Barabbas had a cross with his name on it. However, in this crucial moment, a great exchange took place. The, the innocent one would be condemned and the guilty one would walk free. Barabbas was a guilty man set free to live his life. And Jesus was an innocent man sent to be crucified on a Roman cross as the Savior of the world. Check out this essential doctrine, the aspects of the atonement. See, Christ's substitutionary death on our behalf stands at the center of his atoning work. See, without this work, there is no gospel. Now, while this substitutionary aspect is central to the atonement, his death also supremely demonstrates God's love for sinners. It shows us how seriously God takes sin. It satisfies every requirement for God to be able to forgive the failures of humanity. And it puts Christ's cosmic victory over sin, Satan, and death on display through his resurrection. Every aspect of the atonement should inspire gratitude, praise, and a desire for obedience because it is only through Christ that we are reconciled. Here's our second point. Jesus is the mocked King of Kings. Read with me Mark chapter 15 verses 16 through 20. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail to the king of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. See, we see one of the worst parts of human nature in this passage of Scripture. Not only the, the mutilated physically at the, the hands of men, the Messiah was then brutally mocked by them too. See, the Roman soldiers led Jesus into the governor's residence where they could have a bit of fun at Jesus' expense before the execution. Playing off of the, the charge against him, like the soldiers, they, they dressed him like a king and then made a sport of him. Their goal was not just to destroy his body, but to break his spirit. Mark highlighted in his gospel the, the people's sneering and disdain for Jesus. Soldiers mocked him. Passers-by mocked him. Even the two criminals crucified next to him mocked him. Indoors away from the crowds, Soldiers draped Jesus with a purple robe, purple being the color of royalty, and, and gave him a crown made out of thorns, which no doubt was pressed deep onto his head. With a, a stick, the soldiers hit his head and presumably the thorny crown to cause even more pain. And with utter contempt, the soldiers spat on Jesus and made a show of saluting and bowing down before the king of the Jews. While on the cross, the, the charge against Jesus was placed for all to see, the king of the Jews. His current disfigured, bloody state and position on the cross made the charge an act, act of mockery. Every witness walking by would think, this is, is a king? So passerby and the chief priests and scribes jeered and taunted Jesus while he hung on the cross saying, he should save himself and then they would believe. 
The two criminals crucified uh, next to Jesus took some of their much needed energy and breath to taunt the man accused of being the king of the Jews. But before the end, one of those criminals repented and came to see Jesus in faith and entered into the kingdom of God upon his death. You know, what are some ways professing believers might be guilty of mocking Jesus? Well, in unrepentant sin in claiming the name of Christ, but living like the world, or in abandoning the gathering of the church, the, the body of Christ, or in failing to stand up for the honor and dignity of Jesus and his followers, maybe in refusing to, to share in Jesus' sufferings, or maybe in the hypocrisy of saying one thing and doing another. See, only the spiritual eyes of faith can see what's really going on through this mockery of Jesus. See, the the other soldiers and and many others mocked the idea of Jesus as a king, but the irony is that their mocking actually served to reveal Jesus' glory as the Messiah King sent by God to save sinners. It was through his suffering at the hands of sinners that this king would, would rise again and reign over all things. See, truly, he is the king of the Jews and the king of the world. He is the king of kings. Check out this quote. See, when they clothed him in purple, it was in mockery. Yet, ironically, it was a fulfillment of prophecy, for he indeed was a king. So even their parody indirectly served divine revelation. Even though they did it in a spirit of derision, they still, they did it. And his regal dignity was that by that symbolically heralded. So likewise, though it was with thorns, they crowned him. It was still a crown. The person, teachings, and works of Jesus produced such animated responses in in people in the first century. and, And he is still doing so today. See, it's hard to find someone who doesn't have a strong opinion about Jesus. Why do people despise or, or redefine Jesus? Because our hearts are depraved as a default. The claim of Jesus forces people to either reject him in mockery or in reality, or to surrender to him in worship. But apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, we all reject him. What is a reveal to be true of followers of Jesus when, when they are mocked? Well, that they are being faithful to follow Jesus, that their allegiance is first and foremost to King Jesus and to his kingdom, that they belong to God as his children, that they are reflecting the glory of Jesus in this dark world. Here's our last point. Jesus is the forsaken Son of God. Read with me Mark chapter 15, verses 33 through 39. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, leme samervifina, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come down and take him. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And a curtain torn, a curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, 
this man was the Son of God. No father should have to watch his child suffer and die. Yet God the Father sent his one and only Son into this world for this purpose, that through Jesus' own broken and bruised body, his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, he would save the world from sin and death. On the cross, in the dark, Jesus experienced the cup of God's wrath against sin and in our place, and it left him feeling abandoned by his Father. Yet through that experience, he earned our forgiveness, which we receive as a gift by grace through faith in him. Now, Mark's gospel records only one of Jesus' statements from the cross, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, this quote from Psalm 22, verse 1, likely alluding to the entire psalm, takes the psalmist's experience of suffering and, and finds its fulfillment in the suffering of the Messiah. See, the wrath of God against the sin of the world was unleashed on Jesus the perfect God-man, and it left him feeling alone and forsaken. But it accomplished a great purpose. Jesus experienced the hellish torment of eternal damnation on the cross, so we could experience the heavenly delight of being with God and his family forever. Check out this essential doctrine, sin and death. The ultimate consequence for sin is death, physical death, spiritual death, and eternal death. God was clear to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden that if they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would surely die. The type of death that would result from the fall in the Garden of Eden wasn't simply only physical death, but spiritual death as well. The separation of a person from God. Spiritual death continues in a permanent state when someone dies apart from the reconciling work of Christ, who defeated death through his own death on the cross and subsequent resurrection. See, the minute Jesus died on the cross, the temple's thick curtain was mysteriously torn in two, confirming what Jesus had been proclaiming in his final weeks, that he is the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. See, in the Gospel of Mark, all, the, the only human state explicitly, Jesus' divine identity as the Son of God. It was one of the Gentile centurions who said this at his crucifixion. That Jesus breathed his last and he laid down his life as the Savior of the world. Now, this is the climax of the book of Mark. And in the beginning of Mark's account, we're, we're given a special revelation through the author. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. See, God the Father declared Jesus as his Son. Unclean demonic spirits recognized Jesus as the Son of God, but not a single human being, not even the disciples up to this point in Mark's gospel has declared that Jesus is the Messiah is also the divine Son of God. See, the first person in the book of Mark to express this great realization was the Gentile centurion who stood guard as Jesus' crucifixion and observed the way he died. Now, note in Matthew's gospel, the disciples in the boat declare that Jesus is the Son of God after seeing him walk on water. And John's gospel also includes some people making this declaration. But Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as were Matthew and Luke and John, reserved this phrase in his gospel to be uttered by one human alone. 
the Gentile centurion. This must accord with the purpose for his gospel, right? To, to call all people, Jew and Gentile alike, to believe in Jesus as the Son of God. This was Mark's way of showing what it meant for the temple to curtain to rip. Through Jesus' death on the cross, the path into God's presence has been opened to all who have faith in Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. You know, what are some ways believers can honor the Son of God who, who gave his life for us? Well, to confess Jesus as Lord to the, the self, the church, and to the world. To tell people about the gospel of Jesus. To repent of sin and live in a way that reflects Jesus' teachings. To reject the ways of the world and choose instead to live by the Spirit. The message of the cross is the central message of our Christian hope. With the rest of, of humankind, we all stand guilty in our sin. But God, in his grace and mercy, has done everything to pursue us, to love us, and to forgive us. Even though we were dead in our sins, rebelling against his truth and goodness, Christ died for us to make us new and bring us home. Because of what Christ accomplished through his death on the cross and his resurrection three days later, we don't have to earn our way into the kingdom of God, which is impossible to do anyway. By God's amazing grace, his kingdom has come down to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because Jesus died in our place to pay for our sins, we proclaim to the world not only that Jesus died on the cross, but why he died. Well, it's time for us to take what we have learned and to apply it to our lives. So choose at least one of these options as a way for you to respond to the truth of God's word. First, how will you honor Jesus because he was crucified to save sinners, to save you? Second, what are some ways the members of your church can love one another sacrificially? And three, who needs to hear the good news of Jesus' finished work on the cross? And how will you approach them with it? Check out this quote. He who does not know Christ does not know God, hidden in suffering. Therefore, he prefers works to suffering, glory to the cross, strength to weakness. These are the people whom the apostle called Paul calls enemies of the cross of Christ. For they hate the cross and suffering and love works and the glory of works. Thus, they call the good of, of the cross evil and the evil of a deed, good. God can be found only in suffering and the cross. Thank you for watching this week's Bible study. Unjustly condemned to death, Jesus willingly took up his cross and suffered the judgment our sins deserve. At the moment he died, the curtain in the temple sanctuary was torn in two, signifying that sinners have access to God through the blood of Christ. The crucifixion of Jesus is the center of history, revealing God's holiness and justice, our sinfulness and unrighteousness, and Christ's humility and love. Let me close with this. Jesus came to live the perfect, sinless life that you could not live. He died the sinner's death that you deserve. And he defeated both sin and death by rising from the grave. So you can be saved from your sin simply by putting your faith and trust in Jesus alone for your salvation. Are you ready to give your life to Jesus? If so, please connect with me. You can call or text our prayer hotline 
at 305-707-PRAY. That's 305-707-7729. Or you can go to our website at cbcmaysville.com and click on that Connect tab. Because I want to put some free resources in your hands to help you to know what it looks like to follow Jesus. If you enjoyed this episode, would you please share it with others so that, that they too can experience God's Word? On next week's episode of Through the Word, it's titled, Jesus is Resurrected. We will see that Jesus' disciples did not anticipate or believe the resurrection had happened at first. But when they saw the evidence, God opened their eyes to give them confident faith. Lord willing, I will see you next Thursday for Through the Word. God bless.